Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Now, I just want to say, before we get going, I want to remind everybody that tomorrow is not National Barbecue Day. It's not, right? It's Memorial Day. I want to encourage all of you to spend at least a quick moment tomorrow reflecting on those who have given their life for our country and paid the ultimate price because we know that freedom is not free, all right? So tomorrow, be reflecting a little, at least a little bit. So don't forget. You promise? All right, promise. And also, I want to let you know that today is Pentecost Sunday. Today's the day that we remember when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ came into existence. Who could unify one church under one gospel with such a diverse group of people? God. Just God. God himself, right? Through his Holy Spirit, he communicated the gospel to the people at one moment. This was a miraculous thing, folks. All right, and in Acts 2.41, Peter's preaching a sermon that day, and what happens, according to that verse, it says that that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Pentecost Sunday, this was the day that the Holy Spirit indwelled believers, and the disciples received power from the Holy Spirit. Remember that thing in Acts 1-8? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's what they were talking about. And the, the, the disciples became disciples who in turn would make disciples. So God's presence is always with you, congregation. If you are a believer in the Lord, if you are his child, I want you to acknowledge his residency in your life. His power is in you. God wants to bless you. And so be blessed today. Be blessed today because God lives in you and he wants to do amazing things in and through your life. Amen? And part of that is bless your home. So we are in a series called Our Imperfect Family. So if you have a perfect family, I want to thank you for being here today. You are dismissed. Okay? Thanks for coming. hope you enjoyed the music. The band did a great job. Uh, But if you have an imperfect family like me, we're just getting started. Glad you're here today. Hey, buddy. Welcome home. All right. So the idea of this series is to bring health to your home. That's what we want. We want to bring health to your home. We want God to teach us how to remove some of the dysfunction and the junk that we've inherited, or just coincidentally, it showed up in your house. So this uh, this sermon series is all about applying God's word and the principles that we find in scripture into our real life situations. And so today, we're going to talk about investing into the next generation. That means we're talking about kids today. Woohoo, kids. We love kids, right? Those who are coming down the pipeline, the next gen. Now, it could be your own kids. It could be your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, or the kids that live on your street. It doesn't really matter because we're talking about kids today. And many of you, you raised your kids in yesteryear. That could have been last year, right? But yesteryear. So I thought it'd be kind of fun as we get going today that we kind of get into our time machine and we head back into yesteryear and see what society used to say to some of you who were raising kids back in yesteryear. Let's go back to the 19-something or other. Let's, let's, let's see this picture here. We're going to talk about soda pop real quick. This is what this says. For a, for a better start in life, start cola earlier. 
Now, how soon is too soon? Here's what this says. Not soon enough. Laboratory tests over the last few years have proven, have proven that babies who start drinking soda during the early formative period have a much higher chance of gaining acceptance and fitting in during those awkward preteen and teen years. So do yourself a favor, do your child a favor, start them on a strict regimen of soda pop and other sugary carbonated beverages right now for a lifetime of guaranteed happiness from the Soda Pop Board of America. All right? Now, how about this one? Candy, right? Candy. Kids need, they need the energy that candy gives. Here's why smart mothers buy candy in cellophane. Now, if you look up to the corner, if you can't see it, let me read it to you. It says, for young or old, candy provides quick energy. Buy some next time you shop. Candy is delicious energy food. Enjoy some every day. All right. Now, how about this one? Television. Okay, this is from Motorola. You know Motorola? Okay, Motorola put this out. How television benefits your children. Motorola, the leader in television, shows how TV can mean better behavior at home and better marks in school. So here's the wisdom of the world, church. Soda, candy, TV. In yesteryear. Now, who wants to go back to the good old days? Yeah, not so much. Me neither. But maybe, just maybe, God has some wisdom for us today. I believe he does. So you can turn in your Bible with me to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3, and then uh, put your finger there, and then we're going to get ready to go to the book of Mark in just a few minutes. So, Hopefully you grabbed a bulletin on your way in. There's an outline in there. You can follow along with me. You can scan the QR code in front of you there. You can follow along digitally as well. We'll put the verses up on the screen for you as well today. Proverbs 24, verse 3. Let's get into this together. Here's what it says. By wisdom, a house is built. Now, we talked about this last week. This isn't a structure, four walls and a roof. That's not what we're talking about here. This is kind of allegory in in Proverbs here. We're talking about relationships in the home, the family unit. By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. And established means right here that the pieces of the puzzle are fitting together. Every piece has a function. Every piece has a part. Verse 4, through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasure. So how do we get the relationships in our home together and working like God desires so that our home is filled with beautiful relationships? That is what this series is about. And so we're addressing family concerns that each one of you probably has. 
So today we're talking about what Jesus has to say about the next generation. So now turn with me in your Bible to the New Testament. Go with me to the book of Mark. We're going to look at Mark chapter 9. Mark's the second gospel. We're going to go to verse 33. Jesus and his disciples have been traveling. They're now entering the region of Galilee, which is on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. By the way, it's a beautiful place. Visited there last, uh, uh, last January. If you've ever gotten a chance to go to Israel and the Sea of Galilee, it's an amazing place. So they're coming into Capernaum. And here's what it says. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. And this is kind of weird because in verse 31, Jesus had just predicted his arrest, his death, his resurrection, all the important stuff of our entire faith, And these guys are more worried about who's the greatest among them. And then we get to verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus calls the 12 over and said, Hey, guys, 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 come here, come here, come here. Have a seat. And here's what he says. Quote, Anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. And then he gives an illustration, verse 36. He took a little child whom he placed among them, and taking the child into his arms, he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me doesn't just welcome me, but the one who sent me. So he's talking to his disciples. Some of them are parents. It's believed that this was actually Peter's child. And he's saying, as adults, part of being a servant and a disciple in the kingdom of God is that we are going to welcome children into our lives. Now, for us in today's world, this isn't much of a stretch for us because in our world, you pretty much see two models of families out there who have kids. One not so good. This is the one where families treat their kids like they're a nuisance and a problem and they're just like, you know, Be seen and not heard. And then you have the complete polar opposite where kids are not just a priority, but they are the priority. And in many cases, these kids, they rule the home. They're ruling the roost. And somewhere in the middle is actually where God wants us to land, and we're going to talk about that today. So in Jesus' culture, get this picture going on here. Kids were not considered anything of value. Think about it. They were an extra mouth to feed. They were a person who couldn't bring any income into the home. They they, they were kids. They didn't work. They had no rights. They had no status. They were marginalized in society. In fact, in those days, the father is the one who had all the authority. His wife, or his concubine for that matter, When they had the baby, it was the father, not the mother, who had all the power and decision whether or not to keep the child or not. So in comes Jesus, and he says, hey, guys, I mean, check it out. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you got to welcome the kids into our homes, and they got to be part of our lives. Don't just kick them to the curb. 
So then the question really becomes, as we're thinking about this, you see in your outline there, when Jesus tells us to welcome the child, what does that look like? Now, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, or whether you have no children, or if you're single, it doesn't really matter. What we're about to study applies to you, because kids are all around us in life. And Jesus is saying that we are to embrace them and welcome them, and when we do, We're welcoming him, but not just Jesus. We're welcoming the one who sent him, God the Father. So what does it look like to welcome the children? Number one in your outline, if you're taking notes, is you have to embrace their life. So whether you're a mom, a dad, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, cousin, if you're a kid's care worker or you just go to church, whatever the case is, This is what we need to do as believers, congregation. I want you to look at at verse 36 again. Jesus took a little child whom he placed among them and taking the child in his arms. See how it says he embraced the kids? He took the child into his arms. You see this illustration here. Now, not that children are the priority because we don't want CEO kids running homes. But we also don't want it to be where they're a total nuisance and marginalized. And we certainly don't want to live vicariously through our kids either. All because our childhood was kind of jacked up. That happens a lot. But we want them to be a priority, not the priority. You see the difference there? That's the sweet spot. That's what Jesus says. That's where he wants us. Now, I have a book in my office that's called Sticky Faith. And it's written by a woman named Kara Powell, and she is the director of youth ministry at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena. I've met her at conferences. She's a complete, total scholar when it comes to children and spiritual development. And this is what she found, and I put this in your notes. She said that research shows that every child needs five adults other than their parents who will have a positive influence on their life. Five adults who aren't mom and dad, who are willing to speak into their life, and specifically when it comes to faith. Now think about this. Jesus says, if we embrace the kids, we embrace him and God the Father. So as a parent, I have two kids, so as a parent, I need to be asking this question. How do I get five more adults to encourage my children, and most importantly with spiritual issues, and get those adults into their sphere of influence. That's what I need to be asking. And if you do not have kids at home, the question for you becomes, how do I become one of those five? For some child out there, how do I become one of those five that invests and pours into the life of a child? How can I help them grow and gain positive traction in their life? I'm guessing most of us can look back in our lives as adults. When we look back into our formative years, we can think that maybe, just maybe, there was a couple of adults that were there that weren't our moms and our dads that spoke into our life and helped us in a very positive way. For me, my best buddy for the last 33 years is a man named Eric. He's more than just a friend. He's family. My children call him Uncle Eric. That's all they've ever known. 
Some of you have met him. He's helped our church out with some lights and sound issues over the years. And many years ago, this man was a youth leader in my home church when I was a kid. I was a middle school student, and he was also the church sound man. So here he is working in student ministry. He's teaching the Bible to to us, and he's driving the church van on youth trips. You kind of remember the days when we had church vans, right? He was driving the church van. He was just a real good Christian role model. He was a trustworthy mentor for many of the guys in our youth group. He worked with my brother and I on, uh, on sound equipment, and, and it was just a great, great time. He spent extra time even at my house. He liked my mom's cooking, and he swam in my pool. We had a great time. He was one of those five adults that worked in my own life. And to this day, he still speaks into my life and helps me with questions about the adult world. You know those things that we have to do that we call adulting. Fun stuff, isn't it, everybody, right? Yeah, yeah, we love paying taxes and all that stuff, right? And to this day, we're still great friends, and I'm thankful to God for him. And here's my point. We remember and we value the adults who took time out of their schedule to invest into us when we were young. And that's exactly what Kara is saying, that God wants us to replicate that idea. He wants us to be one of the five where we're investing into the life of young people. That's why I'm so grateful for our children's ministry workers over there right now, working in elementary school and preschool and those who work in middle school and high school. That is an amazing, God-blessed endeavor. He wants us to pass on wisdom that we've gained. Some of you have a lot of wisdom to pass on. You've got knowledge that you've learned over the years and God wants you to use that very skill to help the next generation come up. And here's the blessing. If you do it in love, they will remember you and they will tell stories about you. Whether it's a church environment, Little League baseball, drama club, choir, sewing machines, music lessons, Boy Scouts, or whatever interests you, it doesn't really make a difference. There are kids available for you to invest in. And as parents, I want to encourage you, please invest into your children by finding adults who will invest into your children. Church body. Let's never stop investing and embracing into children. Amen? The next one is just important as well. Number two in your outline. We need to understand their world. We need to understand their world. I mean, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us to do this. So if you got uh, your, your outline, you can look with me at Ephesians 6 verse 4. I'm going to use the living Bible version here because I really think that this, uh, the way it says it's really, really clear Living Bible is a paraphrased version of Scripture, but it really helps communicate here. Ephesians 6, 4. And now a word to you, parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with the loving discipline the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. That's huge. Did you see that? Bring them up with the loving discipline that the Lord approves. 
with suggestions and godly advice. In other words, parents, in order for us to do this, it requires parents to move out of their world and intentionally place themselves in the world of students, of children, of their kids. And it's true for anyone who works with kids as well. That's the only way we're going to understand what's going on in their world. We've got to understand their world. It's always been that way, by the way. When you were children, that's what was necessary for the adults to work with you. It's still that way today. And it doesn't matter what generation you come from, there are some fundamental questions that all children ask as part of their development. I believe that these questions are actually hardwired into each one of us in every child by God. So in your outline, you see these questions. And friends, if you were a parent or grandparent, I just want to let you know, if you ignore these questions, and if you do not answer them for the children that you feel called to invest in, or if they are your family, if you ignore these questions... I'm telling you, it's not going to be good because if you ignore them, the world will not. And as believers, I've heard conversations with many of you all the time about how much we don't like the messages and values and ideas that the world is putting to our kids. So the onus of responsibility is on us to kind of get out in front of that. So real quick, let's look at those questions. Preschool kids, what are they asking? They're asking questions like this. Am I safe? Am I able to do this or do that? They're actually going to ask, am I okay? What do I mean by that? Well, if you've ever had really young preschool kids and little guys, this is not a surprise to you know where they're at. Preschool children are looking for confidence. They're looking for security. They're looking for boundaries. And we need to praise them when they do things that are godly and go against their sinful nature. Now, let me give you an example of this. Over here in the preschool department, I'm telling you that kids do not naturally share. And so when kids share toys, if you're ever in there working, and some of you worked in preschool a long time, you guys. Some of you did. It's like this. Hey, children, stop what you're doing. Johnny just shared his toys with Bobby. Let's praise. Woo! That's what we have to do because that reinforces godly ideas. What a good job, Johnny, for sharing your toys with Bobby. Yay! So now that you've all learned to share your toys, I will happily use your Jaguar. Okay? Please share. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Elementary school kids, right? Elementary school kids are asking a little different question, but it's still just as important. They're asking, am I worthy of your attention? Now catch that, moms and dads. Am I worthy of your attention? Let that sink in for a second. They're asking, do I have any friends? And I promise you, folks, you're not going to like what the world says to them. Jesus says we must be willing to welcome the kids. We've got to get interested in their world and in things that interest them. And the key to all of this is we need to be interested in what they're interested in because we are interested in them. 
It's not about what we're interested in. It's about them. That makes sense? Middle school. Now, there's a reason why a lot of you don't want to volunteer for the middle school lock-in. Right? Anybody want to stay up all night with middle school kids? No, 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 no. Because middle school kids are crazy. Right? I know I worked them for 23 years. Middle school kids are crazy, but they're awesome at the same time. Middle school kids are going through huge changes in their lives. Physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually. And they're asking questions like, who am I? Where do I belong? Who do I like? That's what they're asking. On one hand, they're saying, hey, mom, dad, grandma, grandma, let me be independent. And they're kind of pushing you away. And on the other hand, they're saying, oh, I need you. I need you for security. And they want to be very close to you. Now, that's kind of the tip to the hat there because when they try to sell you the story of how I don't need you, get lost, mom and dad, the word of advice, don't be buying that. You weren't born in last night. You might have been born at night, but not last night, right? So when your middle school kid is telling you the message of they don't need you, they need you desperately. I mean, they're 13, right? They're 13. So do not, do not, do not, congregation, hear me, do not give up on the 13-year-old in your life. High school kids, how about them? If you're raising high school kids, isn't it fun? My two are sitting right over here. Fun stuff. You know, when I was in high school, and by the way, high school kids crack me up. When I was in high school, my mom and dad had a magnet on the refrigerator. And here's what this magnet said. Teenagers. I'm like, oh, that's me. Are you tired of being hassled by unreasonable parents? Question mark. Yeah, in fact, I am. Thanks for asking. Then it said, now's your time for action. I leaned in a little bit more. No kidding. This is exactly what it said. Move out and pay your own way while you still know everything. I told my mom I didn't like that magnet anymore. She's probably laughing as she's watching this right now. Um. But yeah, that, I mean, yeah, isn't that right? High school kids, we know everything as high school kids. When reality, we don't. But here's what high school kids are asking. Why should I believe in the God that you love, mom and dad? They're asking that. Mom and dad, what exactly is my place in this world? How can I matter? What am I going to do in my life? I'm having those questions with my 17-year-old. What am I going to do in life? These are questions that are hardwired into our kids by God. And the world is responding to them. That is a fact. So we have to be proactive and be on the front side. We've got to answer those questions before the world does. Adults, we have to help our kids. We have to. We've got to be one of the five speaking into their life. And time with them is how you help them and how you make a difference. How do you spell care? T-I-M-E. No student cares how much you know until they know how much you care. 
Even when it feels like they're rejecting you, don't buy that stuff. Keep caring for them. T-I-M-E. Time. Okay? Number three, and this one's most important of them all. Model your life. I said this a couple of weeks ago. I'll say it again. Parents, guardians, grandmas, grandpas, when you're watching kids, I hate to be the bearer of sad news to you. But your kids, they aren't listening to you. They're just not. And honestly, if we kind of be honest together today, a lot of us didn't listen to our moms and dads when we were growing up either. But the good news, and here's the good news for you, everybody. The good news is they are watching you very, very close. And whatever it is you model at home is exactly what they're going to be picking up on. And they're going to be rationalizing and calling that acceptable behavior. And the reality is all of us have at some level some dysfunction in our home. But the hard part is seeing it. Because to ourselves, the dysfunction that we have is just normal life to us. We don't even realize that it's dysfunctional. I'm going to give you some of the ones I've heard over the years. You mean, Pastor Wayne, you don't throw things at your house? We don't throw things at my house. You mean, Pastor Wayne, you don't slam doors at your house? Mm -mm, We don't slam doors at my house. You mean, Pastor Wayne, you don't lock family members out? We don't lock family members out. We don't threaten. We don't cuss. We don't use bad language. We don't use the word divorce. We don't call names. We don't yell and scream. We don't shame in any way. And people are like, really? And I'm like, yeah, really. Because for some folks, their dysfunction is just regular daily life. And so you have to really be honest with yourself about what's going on in your home, everybody. Your grandkids and your kids and every other youngster in your life is watching you. And might I say, they're watching you like a hawk. They're watching your behavior. They're paying attention to your speech. All of it. And as these kids watch you, they're internalizing what you do and connecting it to what is acceptable by God and what is acceptable in family life in general. Your kids are a mini-me. They're your mini-me's. I heard a Baptist preacher say one time, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so as you're evaluating your imperfect home, because we all have imperfect homes, I get that, take a look at how you're living right now. Your habits, your choices, because this gives you a picture of your kids' future. And then the question is, is, does that excite you? Or is it like, oh, yikes. When can I start making changes? And if that's the answer, the answer is today. 
Today is when you can start making changes. Because the word of God teaches us to be light, to be salt, and to reflect Christ at all times and all places. Right here is what Jesus says to us. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You can follow along with me. Here's what it says. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're to let our light shine brightly before others, shining the light of Christ from us. And where does it start, congregation? It starts in our homes. We can't fake home life. Our kids know the truth. They see it, and they pay very close attention to what we're modeling. So the question then becomes, what exactly are kids and grandkids watching us model? I want to give you four very important things for you to be aware of that your kids are watching you as we think through the application of today. Letter A in your outline. Relationships. Your kids are watching how you model relationships. You're demonstrating how to communicate, how to resolve conflict, how to overcome differences, how to demonstrate love and kindness to people especially when you're on the phone with a bill collector or a telemarketer or in my house with the San Juan Unified School District. They call my house three times a day on three different phones. Count them up. I get nine calls every single day from the same computer from the San Juan Unified School District. (gasps) Folks, five days a week. (laughs) And then they send the text message and the email. So we laugh about it at my house. I'll pick up the phone and say, talk to me, baby. (laughs) Click, hang it up. Yeah, yeah. You guys know, you have it too. You know exactly what I'm talking about. All right, you're modeling friendships. What does it look like? How does it look? How does it sound? By the way, congregation, how are you doing with your friendships, with your network that your kids are watching? Do you have a good network of friends? And you see the question on the screen. Are you helping your children learn how to select the right kinds of friends? I've said this before. I've been teaching this for 23 years. Our kids, their friends... It's such a big deal because friends will determine the quality and the direction of their life. Who you run with is going to make you or break you in this world. So are you helping them process that reality? I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Here's what it says. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. This is biblical. Parents, if you have 
bad friends, that's what you're modeling to your kids. If your kids have bad friends, you know what's at stake here. Moms and dads, you're the parent. You're in charge. Be in charge. Don't let that kid take away your kid's future. That's how important that is. Bottom line, your kids are watching everything that you do and they're learning from you on how to do relational life. Letter B, character. Now here's what character is. This is a simple formula I learned many years ago. Character is the sum total of your choices and habits. So if you want to know if you have good character, check those two areas. Are you making good choices? Do you have any bad habits? Are you walking with integrity? Do you practice what you preach? If you want your kids to have good character, adults, grandparents, parents, it starts with you. Starts with you. You're the model. You have to make good choices. You have to depart from unhealthy habits because, again, your kids are watching you. Letter C, values. I got a theme going on here. Maybe you see it, right? All this stuff is caught. It's not just taught. The same is true for values here. They're caught. They're not taught. They're not just taught. Your kids are watching to see what's important to you. How you handle things. How you handle work. How you handle money. Not by what you tell them, but by what you purchase. And how all that jives with scripture that they're learning from you in Sunday school classes. They're watching your views on religion and politics. Are you modeling a godly and biblical worldview? They're learning what kind of TV programs and what kind of movies are acceptable to watch as a disciple of Christ. They're learning what marriage is supposed to look like, hopefully. What about your speech? Do you use foul language? Do you make racial comments? All of these things, your kids are watching you. And at the end of the day, what's important to you is what they will embrace. You are the one that they will learn right and wrong from. So if you look back at Ephesians 6, 4 with me, back from the Living Bible, I want to repeat that part again. The word of God says, bring them up with the loving discipline that the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. Congregation, that is a big, big, big deal. Parents, grandparents, guardians, aunts, uncles, listen, Scripture is teaching us that God has placed a tremendous amount of responsibility on you to lead by example. Teach your children God's ways and to love the things that God loves. What does God love? God loves people, not stuff. They're watching what you value. Lastly, letter D, priorities. It's always interesting to me to see how different families prioritize different things. But if there's one thing that should be first, it's God. It's God, right? Jesus gives us that instruction. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, here's what he says. He says, 
but, what church, say it with me. He says, but seek first. Okay, let me stop right there. Not second, not 32nd, but seek what? First. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, comma, comma, and all these things will be given to you as well. Hopefully you catch that. Worry about this, and this will take care of itself over here. Now, I put this statement in your notes here. We need to set our priorities prior to the activity. What do I mean by that? Two weeks ago, in part one of this series, we talked about how God has a flow chart. And that flow chart is first is God, second is spouse, third kids, fourth job and career. Now, that's right out of Ephesians chapter, chapter four and chapter five. So, when it comes to the activities in your family calendar, are your activities jiving with God's flow chart? Do they prioritize God? Or do they pull you away from God being in first place? What about your spouse in the number two spot? Do the activities in your family calendar pull you away from your spouse being number two? What about your kids in the third spot? Do the activities in your family calendar pull you away from having your kids in the number three spot? And nobody cares about number four because it's totally not important at all. I don't need to talk about that. Do your activities follow God's flow chart? Because see, if we say that they do, if we say God is number one in our life, but if we don't actually live that out in reality, our kids can see right through that. They have got a hypocrisy antenna a mile high. Seriously, they do. You're not fooling any of them. And since we're shaping and we're molding our kids, they are catching on what we are producing. So as an encouragement to you, for those of you who are like, oh man, I'm looking into my life. Ooh, I need some fixing. I want you to know that that's actually great news. So don't be too down on yourself. And here's the reason why. is because we worship a God who doesn't focus on where we've been, but on where we're going. Amen. You can clap for that. And God can make a difference in your imperfect family. So if you're sitting here thinking, I've already raised my kids, Pastor Wayne. And honestly, maybe I didn't do so well at it. Well, if that's your story, I say this to you. That chapter may be over, but the book isn't finished. Own up to whatever it is that you didn't do so well at. Tell your adult children, honey, you know, if I would have known this 50 years ago, probably things would be different now. It's okay, own up to it. There's nothing wrong with being open and honest and transparent to your adult kids. Humility goes a really long way with people. It just does, especially moms and dads, to your own flesh and blood. Humility is the heartbeat 
of Jesus. Church, do you see that? That is his heartbeat. And when you are humble, it will demonstrate your prioritization of God in your life. Your kids, even them being adults, they will pick up on that. So I just want to encourage you today, everybody. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Congregation, yeah. Let's let's evaluate our lives. Let's elevate the next generation. Let's invest into them. Let's welcome them into our lives, into the ministry of our church. They are important to Jesus. And because of that, they are important to us here at First Baptist Church of Fair Oaks. Investing into the next generation is one of the ways that our church will be stronger in the future because it will be positioned for kingdom impact in this community for generations to come. Amen? I'm going to ask you to stand and join with me in a word of prayer this morning. Father, as we just simply come before you today, just to say, God, thank you for being who you are. Thank you, Lord, that we just have this time together today to come before you, to look at your word, and to evaluate our homes. Lord, we recognize that we don't have imperfect families. Some of us, God, we are in desperate need of surgery in our homes, and we need you to be the physician who fixes it. So God, I pray for those homes that are represented here today and watching us online. God, that we will be honest about what's going on in our homes, and that we will seek you and put you first. God, help us to sense the importance and the responsibility that we have as moms and dads who have brought children into this world that we need to train them up. We need to train them up to think like you think, to love like you love. That is our heartbeat, God. So help us to do that. God, I just ask right now for people in this room who may or may not be, or maybe they're watching us online and they don't know you as Lord and Savior. And how you paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom, our sin nature. And congregation, if you are here today and if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity today to know him. And it's simply just recognizing that you are in need of a Savior, that you were born that way and that there's nothing you can do to save yourself and that if you just would admit that you're a sinner... And confess that to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. So I want to encourage you. Lay yourself at the feet of Jesus today. So congregation, as we're here today, Father, we seek you. Draw us to your spirit, Lord. We ask you to do a miracle in our home. We want to get real about that health, God. Work in our homes. Help us to be better parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, cousins and friends. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.